Thank you, Mark. Uh, I talked to Dr. Vines on Monday. He's so excited about coming. I think he must keep notes in his computer because it's been years since we've had him. And he said, I remember the last time I came, you invited David Allen to come as well. Some of you remember David. He was way, raised in West Rome and responded to the call to ministry while Dr. Vines was there. And also he served at Southwestern Seminary for years. Now he's at Mid-America teaching. And Dr. Vines always tells something cute. He'll have a couple of jokes for you. But he said, you know, I was just such a bad judge of character when I was at West Rome. He said, we had a lot of old boys there that went into the ministry. And he said, I thought most of them were going to jail later in life. And he said, one service said when David Allen was just a young teenager and hadn't responded to the call to preach, he said, David sat down on the back row there at West Rome for Sunday service. And he said, the next thing I knew, the service just broke up back there. He said, David had brought a white mice, a live white mouse to church and let it loose on the back row among the teenagers. So I went home and told Janet that David Allen is going to jail. When he gets older, he said, every one of those boys that went into the ministry, I had said they were going to go to jail at some point. They've turned out to be the most powerful preachers that came out of West Rome. So you'll enjoy uh, what he has to say this week. Also, I've been in touch with Mark Rick, and he's excited about coming. He said he has an event at the Athens Country Club on the night before he comes here. And he said, we have to send transportation for him. He said, it's going to be a, a tuxedo black tie event. We won't get home to our home in Athens till 9 p.m. So I need your drivers to pick me up at 9.30 Saturday night. He said, I got to get out of that tuxedo. Well, I hadn't told him yet, but Eddie Waters volunteered along with his son-in-law to go pick up uh, Mark Rick. So they're going to get here about midnight with him on Saturday night, get him put in a hotel. I can't wait to tell Eddie that because Eddie is a, is a morning person. He's not a night person. And the other thing I told Coach Rick, I said, listen, I said, you need your rest, so I'll tell Eddie Waters and his son-in-law to let you sleep from Athens over to Rome. Can you imagine Eddie not saying anything for three hours? All right, turn in your Bible now to Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 20. Last week, we talked about the judgment seat of Jacob. And you were just as confused as I was when we left. So we're going to make it simple tonight. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 20. However, this is not the way of life you learn. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. 
In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When I went off to seminary, that was a huge shock for me to be so far away from home. My mother always made home-cooked meals. She cleaned the house, and she also washed our clothes. I remember back in the days when we didn't have a dryer. We had a clothesline. And I also remember the days when she put wire pants stretchers in our blue jeans to let them dry after they were washed. Well, Mom and Dad told us, you can always be clean, take a bath, and you may not have new clothes, but you can always wear clean clothes. I did not know how to turn on a washer or a dryer, but when I went to school, I had to clean my dorm room and every Saturday, I went to the dorm washeteria with my gold drawstring bag. Well, I didn't know anything about washing clothes. I'd bought me some detergent, and then I found out it cost 50 cents to wash a load. You didn't have an on or off button. You just stuck the 50 cents in, and you shoved it in and pulled it out, and it started. Well, 50 cents was a lot of money to me back then. I didn't know that you were supposed to separate the whites from the colors, but I did know that you always used cold water. God bless whoever it was who invented permanent press because I had to wear dress shirts to church, and sometimes we had to wear them to school to preach in in our preaching classes. So I had to make a choice was I going to have dirty sheets and dirty linens or dirty clothes, or was I going to learn how to do those things? Well, Paul talks about putting on and putting off. It's like putting on clean clothes after you take off those dirty clothes. He compares that to our old nature and then our new nature after we've trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 and he says that we are to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. He says that our conduct ought to match our calling in Christ. He says our profession ought to match our practice. In verses 22 through 24, Paul resumes his teaching on how we ought to behave. He says that you put off the former conversation, the old man, that old nature, that life before we were saved. And then he goes on, he says, we ought to replace that unsaved lifestyle. He says, you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness, and true holiness down in verse 24. So the old sinful practices ought to be stripped away as we begin to live a spirit-filled, spirit-empowered life. You know, Valdosta was hit with some tremendous 
bad weather over the last several months. Georgia Baptist Disaster Relief has been sending teams down there to help them to restore their homes and to cut trees and help with businesses. When you watch the news sometime, you'll see a business that was flooded. The owners of the business have gone in and they've gotten the mud off the floors and they've cleaned up some of the merchandise and some of their merchandise was totally ruined. But you'll see this little sign on the news in front of these stores that have reopened. Here's what it says. Business as usual. Listen to me carefully. That's the storekeeper's that's his purpose, to keep things moving forward. That's commendable. But that same sign for you and me after we get saved, business as usual, is inappropriate. We ought to conduct ourselves as if we really are under new management. Jesus is our Lord. So the Christian life is more than avoiding certain negatives, and thou shalt not. So Paul, first of all, he gives some prohibitions, things in that old unsaved life that ought to be excluded. Notice, first of all, the prohibition against lying in verse 25. Uh, a lie is just a, a statement contrary to the true facts, spoken with the intent to deceive somebody else. If I tell you it's noon and you look at your watch and it's five o'clock, I may have been telling you a lie. Lie in verse 25, he says it's any kind of deception in family, business, politics, and in personal relations. Sometimes when I hear certain politicians on TV telling me something, I'm, going, I'm thinking, do you think we out here do not have a brain? I was reading the other day about a young man who was a vice president in a Fortune 500 company. He was 38 years old. The board of directors had met. They were wanting to find a new president for this corporation. Well, the board had this 38-year-old vice president, that's almost unheard of, be that young, to be considered for president. So they interviewed him. He gave the right answers. He was very, very bright. And so they said, well, we're going to break for lunch. Everybody can go wherever you want to go for lunch. We don't have it in the boardroom. We come back, we'll vote. Well, this young man, the candidate, went to what we used to call a Piccadilly. You know what I'm talking about cafeteria where you go and pick out what you want. Well, inadvertently, three or four of the board members went to the same restaurant, and they just observed the candidate. He got his tray, his silverware, his napkin. He went down the line, picked out what he wanted. And then, you know, they always have butter in a little cup over there, the individual servants. Well, back at this time, those were three cents apiece. Well, this candidate for president put down two cups of butter on his tray and he took his napkin and covered over them. And then when he got to the cashier, just like it used to be at the old S&S cafeteria in Augusta, the cashier rang up his meal but didn't see those two three-cents patties of butter and he didn't tell the cashier and he went 
and he ate his lunch. Well, these board members saw what he did. And so when they got back to take the vote on this candidate as president, they also did not promote him. They fired him from his position in this Fortune 500 company for stealing six cents worth of butter. They said, if we can't trust him in the small things, we can't trust him with the millions in this corporation. He says here that we are not to lie, not in your home, not among fellow Christians, not in the church. We're to tell the truth everywhere we go. The second thing he says here, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. If our anger is selfish, if it's undisciplined, uncontrolled, it's sinful. I love old Warren Wiersbe's B-series books. And, and in his book on Ephesians, he says, anger is an emotional arousal caused by something that displeases us. In itself, anger is not a sin because even God can be angry. And he says several times in the Old Testament, the phrase, the anger of the Lord appears. The holy anger of God is a part of his judgment and also he judges sin. And it's illustrated our Lord's anger when he cleansed the temple. He said it's difficult for us to practice a true holy anger and righteous indignations because our anger is tainted by sin. I was reading the other day that one out of every 35 murders in the city of Chicago is committed among friends and family. It's what police call crimes of passion. You know, two friends get in an argument, one of them gets angry, pulls a gun or a knife, and kills somebody. A woman tried to defend her bad temper by saying, I explode, and then it's all over with. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's like firing a shotgun. It just, it's going to get on everybody this close by. Anybody can become angry, but it was Aristotle who said, but to be angry with the right person, with the right degree, at the right time for the right purpose, in the right way, is not easy. And I like what Solomon said. A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words, he says, will stir up anger. I was talking to somebody recently who was involved in an automobile accident, and they looked at me and said, you know, I did the wrong thing. I said, what'd you do? He said, this person ran into me and said, I got out of my car and said, what in the world are you doing? I didn't need that in my life today. I said, whoa. I said, what did that guy say? He said, he got mad too. I said, you know, in all the wrecks I've had, I've tried to do this, whether it's my fault or the other person's fault. When it's safe, I get out of the car and I go to them, are you all right? Even if they're at fault. Just when you're small, you're just going to stay calm and you won't have to run quite as far and quite as fast. You know, people get angry at each other and hold a grudge for a long time. I was reading back in 1882 in New York City, there were two men there. One was named Joseph Richardson, 
and he owned a strip of land on Lexington Avenue. Another businessman whose last name was Sarner, S-A-N-A-C-R-N-E-R, he owned a normal-sized lot adjacent to Richardson's skinny lot. Now, listen to this. Can you imagine this lot size in New York City? This, this Richardson guy owned a lot, and he gave the dimensions there. He said it was five feet wide and 104 feet long. Can you get that picture? And so I want you to know that Mr. Sarner went to Mr. Richardson, and he said, look, I own, I own the lot behind you. It's big. And he said, uh, I may want to build something on it. He said, I'll give you $1,000 for that five-foot by 100-foot strip. Well, I want you to know Richardson got insulted. He said, it's worth at least $5,000. So he said, no sale. So Sarner assumed that that, that little five-foot by 104-foot slip would just stay empty. So he went out and hired an architect, and on his particular land, he, he developed a high-rise apartment building, and it faced the street. Well, I want you to know Mr. Sarner came along, hired an architect, and in front of Richardson's nice, palatial building, he built an apartment complex that was five feet wide, 104 feet long, and four stories high. And he put it right in front of Richard's building so nobody could see out the window. And he built a small suite on the third floor, and he and his wife moved in. So, ladies and gentlemen, that, that's how that anger can see. And then you do things that will just, just cause bitterness in another person's life. But like somebody said, you're actually drinking the poison that you mean somebody else to drink. So watch your anger. Then he says, don't steal. Practice work. And he says, we need to practice work so that we'll have something to give to other people who have a need. Look at verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more. I read where somebody said, the only reason the stars are still up in the sky is they're too far up for man to reach and steal. You know, after working in retail for about 10 years, I think that's the truth. And I was reading the other day, two teenage girls were arrested for shoplifting. And when the cops sat them down to talk to them, and here's what they said, everybody does it. After all, the stores have lots of merchandise, and the owners are wealthy. What about companies that get involved in defense contracts, and they sell the taxpayers screws and nuts and bolts and things like that that are, that are price gouging? They get caught, and the next thing you know, the politicians have renewed another contract with us taxpayers. The head of an employment agency called the president of a company one day and said, Mr. Jones, he says, I, I, I need some information about our client who's named Joe Phillips. And so the man for the employment agency said, I understand that Mr. Phillips worked for you as a salesman. 
And Mr. Jones said, well, he worked for about two weeks. The employment agency man said, two weeks? He said, it says here he worked for you for four years. He said, well, he was employed by us for four years, but he actually sold for only two weeks. If you're a Christian, you ought to be the best employee in the business. Paul, Paul gave the motive to work, he said, so that you're able to give to those who are in need. And notice the next thing he says, let no filthy communication come out of your mouth. Use speech that builds up and encourages those around you. I get tired of standing in checkout lines, hearing men and women, adults, and children and teenagers just use one word of profanity after another. You can go to a sporting event. You're sitting there with your wife, and you just hear some of the most despicable language that you've ever heard in your whole life, and it's just normal, natural, and right to people in our society. Filthy communication, that means foul-mouthed, worthless Speech. It's evil talk. The word used for corrupt or evil is talking about something that is rotten. I keep a cooler in my car most of the time, and I don't never know when I'll need one. There are no six-packs or 24-packs in my cooler. But I put some of those, you know, those ice packs that you can freeze and I threw some in there the other day. They'll stay frozen for two or three days. And I had to pick up something at the grocery store. And I threw it in there. When I got home, I took the merchandise out and forgot those packs. About five days later, I started thinking, what in the world happened to those ice packs that were in the freezer? And man, when I opened that cooler in the back of my car, boom, I forgot that I'd used those ice packs to bring shrimp back from the beach last May. And I forgot to wash those ice packs off. And it smelled like, it smelled like out-of-date mullet on a Saturday night when you're cleaning out the meat case. It was absolutely horrible. That's what he says about filthy communication. It's like smelling rotten fish. We can use words to clarify and we can use words to communicate. At times, we give a foggy message. We don't use the words in the proper manner. I was reading the other day about a teacher who knew she was going to be out for a while, so she picked her substitute. And so the substitute came, and the teacher was, the regular teacher was out for about two weeks. And substitute came in, and every day she would, tell long stories to these second graders. And the stories, the kids, they're just really boring. And when she'd get to the end of the story, she would say, now the moral to the story is. Well, after two weeks, the regular teacher came back. And when she came in, the little second graders were applauding. We, we love you, Miss Smith. We love you. We love you more than we like our substitute teacher. And she said, well, why do you like me more than the substitute teacher? They said, because you have no morals. 
And so she didn't tell them stories to teach them the moral of the story. Every time we open our mouths, we reveal who we are. I like what the psalmist said in Psalm 19, verse 14. He said, may the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O my Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Oh, uh, while watching her brother, old Linus, uh, read a book in the Peanuts comic strip, Lucy declared, it's very strange. It happens just by looking at you, Linus. And Linus says, what happens? To which his sister said, I can feel a criticism coming on. You've got to be honest. Sometimes we see certain people. We've got to be careful about judging, and we feel a criticism coming home. Now, notice here the prohibition about bitterness and resentment. He says in verse 31 and 32, he says, practice kindness and forgiveness. You know, bitterness refers to a person with a sour disposition. It's a person that refuses to reconcile and put all the hurts and things behind. Then wrath is rage. It's anger. It is a settled feeling. And then in the, in the King James Version, talks about clamor. It's talking about temper. It's talking about public quarreling, speaking evil and slanderous about other people. He said all of that has to do with the former life. pastor was studying one day, and he heard a knock on his study door, and he opened the door, and there was a man standing there. And he said, Pastor, my ex-wife and I want to come to you for counseling. He said, well, I don't know. Tell me a little something about your story. Here's what he said. He said, my wife and I, first marriage, had an argument 30 years ago. And we decided to divorce over one issue. She's never remarried. I've never remarried. And he says, we're, we're getting back together now, and we want to talk to you about some premarital counseling, and we want to get married again to each other because we made a horrible mistake. Now think about that. That divorce took place 30 years prior over some bitterness that they both hung on, hung on to for 30 years. How much productive time they wasted and the blessings they missed just because neither one of them would give. It's just a tragedy. Then on the positive side here, Paul says, put on the word kindness. Christos, that's the Greek word. Christ was and is kind. And you and I as Christians and fellow Christians need to be kind to one another. We, we need to be Christ-like. The word here used is not the usual biblical word here for forgiveness that he uses in this, these verses either. And, and what he's talking about here, this means to send away. It means to let go. It's a, world, it's a word that means to grant a gift to somebody else. There's a sweet, sweet young lady that went to church here when I first came. And she was here before I came. And she just, after about two years, she just said, I just want to tell you something. She said, yo, people of this church just 
y'all just don't know how to worship. I'm just, I'm going to house church. I got a friend that's starting a church in a house. There's something I've seen with a lot of this house church stuff is when people leave an organized church and go to house church, the next thing I hear from is they quit house church and they don't go anywhere. That doesn't happen every time, but most of the time. But I have seen this lady through the years, and I'm always nice to her. She's always nice to me. And she came here not long ago for a funeral. Been out of church for about 25 years. And she looked at me in the Welcome Center. She said, you know, it's time for me to come back home. I said, well, we'd be glad to have you. And we're open. You know what? I took somebody out today in our, to lunch that's going through the grief process in our church. And guess who walked in? It was that lady. And she came over, just a warm greeting at the table. And I said, you know, we're having Mark Richt. What a great time to come. And you know what she did? She said, who is Mark Rick?" <laughs> so I was still, you know, I didn't hang on to any grief or anything through the years and just been nice to her. But like I said, she just has a sweet, sweet spirit about her. Sometimes people just get deceived. When, when we forgive somebody, we're actually giving them a grace gift. And Paul says we're to give, we're to forgive even as God has graced or forgiven us. People in our society just have a long memory for bad things. I was reading the other day about a professional baseball player from the 1912 World Series. His name was Fred Snodgrass. And he was in the World Series playing for the Giants. And uh, he dropped a pop fly to let the winning run get in scoring position. And the next batter up hit a single. And the winning run was scored against the Giants. And the Giants lost the World Series. Now, this old boy lived a long life. Fred Snodgrass died. When did I say that World Series was? 1912. He died in 1974. And I want you to know, the New York Times printed this headline when the man died. Fred Snodgrass... 86, dead ball player, muffed to fly in 1912. Now, that'll bless your heart. 62 years later, yet they couldn't forget his mistake. Never mind he was the mayor of Oxnard, California. Never mind he owned a successful business. Never mind that he was a banker and a rancher and raised a great family. He dropped a pop fly in a World Series 60-some-odd years before. Psalm 103, verse 12, says this. He says, God not only forgives our mistakes, but he forgets them. Learn to forgive and forget. So Paul gave five prohibitions and five fractures, and down verse 30. He says, you need to do this because we don't need to grieve the Holy Spirit. Before last summer, I, I sort of thought we might have some drought times. I had some old garden hoses. 
So like you, I went to the store. I want the best price, but I'm reading the details. Lifetime limited warranty. Will not crack, will not crimp. That's the hoses I want. You know what I did? I went and hooked them up to the faucets outside. And when I'd go water my flowers and water my grass, you know what they'd do? They'd crimp. That makes me mad. Because I got to walk all the way back around here. And when you get one crimp out, what happens? You got another one. And then I bought the copper fit hose. And Delane said, This is wonderful. It's so light. And one day I was out watering a tree in the front yard and it exploded. It really did. It exploded. And I boxed it up and sent it back to Bulbhead. And I still hadn't gotten a response from them. That's what happens when we let sin in our life. It quenches the Holy Spirit, empowering, flowing through, and using us. God wants us to live a victorious, effective life. But I want you to see, he says, we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, you can anger your enemy. You can do all these other kind of things. sin, But when you do that, you grieve the Holy Spirit. Have you ever noticed this? The more you love somebody, when that person hurts, or you lose them through death, the more you love them, the more you grieve for them. We're children of the King if we're born again. The Holy Spirit lives within us. And we sin. His grief is great because we're not allowing His power to flow through us. He says, if you'll practice these positives and lives in the power and the might of the Holy Spirit, God will do a great work through your life. That sounded like that hose that I blew up. Let's pray together and get out of here. They're trying out new equipment tonight. They really are. And so there's five different preachers that preached up here tonight. Lord, we thank you for meeting with us tonight. And Lord, we pray that um, we'll pay attention. I mean, this, these are just things that would just common sense. But we've got to realize it's also the inspired written word and the principles that we're to allow to be applied to our life so we can be a, a positive witness for you on this earth. Bless everyone for having come tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good night.